I think we're going to get started for the next session. I hope you're all fully caffeinated now. We've got a few stragglers. Um, so the next uh, talk is going to be given by Emma O'Brien, who works in science communications um, for Alzheimer's Research UK, I think uh, promoting awareness of uh, dementia in the public through the media and also is in charge of funding opportunities for uh, clinicians and scientists. So she could be your next best friend, I think. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll let her get started. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you very much for having me here today. Um, I suppose in a room full of uh, doctors and trainee doctors, I should probably point out that my doctor is a PhD, so apologies if I make uh, mistakes with the different uh, trainee programmes and all the, all the medic lingo, which I'm not fully up to speed on. Um, but really, I'm here today to... Um, we've heard a lot about the clinical side of things. We've heard... Um, you know, the, 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 the toll that dementia takes on families from Marion, we've heard about the policy and I'm here really to try and encourage as many of you as possible to think about doing a bit of academic research to complement your clinical work and um, to hopefully give you a bit of a flavour of what clinicians can add to the dementia research efforts that are going on in the UK and globally. So uh, it won't be any surprise, and we've heard this throughout today, that dementia is a global issue. Um, and the es current estimates are 850,000 people in the UK are living with dementia. And that means that there's a huge number of family carers, as we've heard from um, Marion, and the, the, the impact on both the individual and the family is, is huge. Um, aside from the personal side of things, the impact on the UK economy is also massive. So £24 billion a year um, is what the dementia costs the UK economy. That's more than, than cancer and heart disease combined. And of relevance to you, one in four hospital beds is, is occupied by someone with dementia and two in three people in care homes have dementia. So this is, this is really a, a massive issue. But dementia research has been drastically under-resourced. Um, so like I said, the cost of the economy is huge, um, but really um, funding from the government um, into schemes that help actively try to help find treatments for dementia have, have lagged far behind. So it's a bit of a post-caffeine interactive session. Does anyone want to guess how much last year the UK government spent on dementia research? 509 million, 75 million, 55 million or 15 million? Don't be afraid. 55 is actually correct. You're not the right person to answer that. <laughs> so the 509 million is how much was spent on, on cancer research. Um, 75 million is how much the Department of Work and Pension spent on stationery a couple of years ago in one year. 55 million is dementia research and 15 million is how much Gareth Bale makes in a year playing for Madrid, I think. So although we're going to hear from, from, from Claire later about what, you know, the government has stepped up its dementia research funding through the Medical Research Council through huge initiatives, we still have a long way to go to make sure that, that the amount that is invested in dementia research is, is what's needed. Um, and also get as many researchers looking at dementia as possible. So at the moment, there are six times as many researchers looking into cancer as there are in dementia. So we need to increase the opportunities there are for scientists, make dementia research a more attractive career prospect by providing funding opportunities and, and 
positions within, within academic research. So what do I mean by saying dementia research? Um, what I'm going to be focusing on is uh, biomedical research. So that's what Alzheimer's research does. We, UK does, we fund uh, biomedical research to help find ways to diagnose and ultimately treat, treat the diseases that cause dementia. And the reason we need this investment is because the, the drugs that you'll be familiar with, dinepazil, uh, rivastigmine, etc., are symptomatic treatments. So, um, as, we, as we just heard from, 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 from Klaus, they can uh, sharpen think, the thinking difficulties uh, that arise in dementia, do, do a bit for memory, but they're doing nothing to stop the damage that the diseases that cause dementia are, are wreaking havoc in the brain. So that's what we're funding, research that can actually modify the disease process, halt nerve cell death, protect nerve cells, so that we can alter the course of the disease. <laughs> rather than um, just tackling some aspects of symptoms. But why has dementia research lagged behind? Well, there's a huge amount of stigma surrounding dementia for, you know, for decades. Someone who was displaying symptoms of dementia would have been sectioned, institutionalised. Um, it was not something that, that people talked about. It was, there was a huge amount of a, a lack of understanding. It was accepted that this was just something that happened when people got older. And that's not true. Dementia is caused by diseases. This is not a natural part of aging. Um, another huge point is that the brain is incredibly complicated. We're still really trying to understand how the brain works in, in those of us that are healthy, let alone what goes wrong in, in diseases. So that's why um, neuroscience as a whole has traditionally lags behind other, other areas of medical research just due to the complexities involved. And we want to change that through, through more research funding. So a bit of back to basics for those of you that don't, don't remember this from, from uh, undergraduates. So Alzheimer's um, has two hallmark proteins, amyloid plaques and tau tangles. And really this slide is to illustrate that we have unhealthy nerve cells, but working out how to fix them is incredibly complicated. Do we try and destroy the plaques? Do we try and destroy the tangles? Do we need to destroy both? Can we destroy both? Do either of these things have anything to do with nerve cells getting, getting damaged? And these are the fundamental questions that researchers are trying to answer when it comes to protecting nerve cells from damage. But Alzheimer's isn't the full story. Although Alzheimer's is responsible for about two-thirds of uh, the cases of dementia that we see in this country, there's also vascular dementia, which we heard about from Marianne. Dementia of Lewy bodies, which has a lot of parallels with Parkinson's. They've got the same hallmark biological features manifesting in different symptoms. And frontotemporal dementia, which is uh, really, you know, um, very often misdiagnosed because the, the initial symptoms are behavioural changes, personality changes, which are often not recognised as dementia when, when clinicians are looking out for the more usual symptoms of memory and thinking difficulties. So the problem is incredibly complex and that's why we need as many people working on this issue as possible and that includes clinicians because you can provide that clinical viewpoint that scientists working in a laboratory with a pipette and some solutions 
cannot achieve just by doing that. We need clinicians to be able to share their experiences uh, and to conduct research um, either you know, in their day-to-day in their -day practice or taking some time out to, to, to undergo bodies of work. So now I'm just going to say a few of the opportunities that are available from Alzheimer's Research UK. So Alzheimer's Research UK funds more biomedical dementia research in the, in the UK than any other charity. And as I said, we focus on research that takes us closer to ways to better diagnose, prevent and ultimately treat the diseases that cause dementia. And from the, the pie chart you'll see on the other the other um, on the other slide, the diagnosis um, issue is, is a huge one because there are so many different causes of dementia, each with different symptoms, each with different ways of managing these, um, that we really need to uh, better understand these diseases if we're to make more accurate, accurate diagnoses and more timely diagnoses. So we've got two clinician-focused grant schemes one of which is the Preparatory Clinical Research Fellowship. And it's um, designed for clinicians who are thinking about uh, branching out into academic research. So it's one year of funding suitable for trainees, um, um, old age psychiatrists, neurologists, um, and clinical psychologists. And the proposals would be written by yourself although um, you would have to have um, the, the support of a supervisor in an academic institution. You don't need to have a PhD to do these. These really are to get you on that rung of academic research. Um, as you can imagine, the, the more successful applicants will have had a bit of uh, research experience, either through an intercalated degree or doing a project at some point um, in, in, in their training. Um, but that's really because it's you yourselves that would have to write the proposal. Um, and really, these, these year-long schemes are designed to make sure that you can get the, the expertise, the skills, the sort of scientific background that would then allow you to um, apply for bigger, bigger grant schemes and, and sort of um, become more, um, enter more into the academic research world. The, the schemes themselves, are our deadlines for them are, um, they're done with medics in mind, so they're slightly off kilter from our other grant schemes, but just so that the application deadlines are fitting in when you all have to be changing jobs and things like that. So it, they're designed with, with, with clinicians in mind um, to hopefully make the process as, as smooth as possible. So to give you a few examples of what do our uh, preparatory clinical research fellows do, um, we have two at the moment, just coming to the end of their years, um, both in London actually, um, Kersey who's at UCL and she's working uh, with people with familial Alzheimer's disease as part of a huge, um, it's a, a, a global study that she's working on part of to look at connectivity in the brain and what are the earliest changes that we can detect in people with familial Alzheimer's disease with the hope that, that will be able to, we'll be able to extrapolate that out to look at what are the initial changes that we need to be looking for in people with later onset Alzheimer's. And then Valeria at Imperial is also doing an imaging project but she's looking at PET scanning rather than MRI to look at the role of inflammation and, and what part that plays in the progression of Alzheimer's disease. 
And inflammation is actually a, a really massive topic at the moment in, in Alzheimer's, has been for quite a few years now, because it was traditionally thought of just your body's response to damage, but now researchers uh, know a lot more about it and have found that it's intimately connected to the progression of the disease. So she's developing ways that we can monitor inflammation, look at its changes over the disease course, look at the changes in inflammation in response to therapy. So then the other um, tailor-made scheme for clinicians is our clinical research fellowship. Pretty much the same thing as the preparatory clinical research fellowship, but it's three years of funding. Again, you don't need to have a PhD to apply for this, and quite a lot of the time, people, uh, clinicians apply for this and do their PhD through this scheme. So this would pr provide PhD funding. Um, and again, the applications would have to be made by yourself um, in, in conjunction with, with, a, with a supervisor who is a clinician at a, at a, at a host university. Um, and I've got a few of our booklets on our funding opportunities. So do take one of them and then one of my cards and then you can ring our research team at any time to talk through any project ideas that you have. Obviously, it's not actually um, the research team in the office that makes the decision. All of our grants go to a grant review board, which is made up of about 15 researchers that scrutinise all of the applications. And then for these research fellowships, you'd go for interview. But the research team can talk you through, you know, is that within our remit? Is this the sort of thing that we'd fund? And um, that sort of thing. So do, don't hesitate to give us a call um, before starting an application. So just to give you a few examples of our clinical research fellows and more about why they decided to, to get involved in academic research. Um, so on our Alzheimer's Research UK, we have a, a blog. It's a public-facing blog, and we do this um, every month. We have a scientist focus where we do a little interview with a, a somebody that we fund, whether it be a clinician or a basic researcher. But actually, I find them quite useful as just examples of career pathways, because especially in, in, in science, and I imagine it's the same for, for clinicians, you probably get told you have to do things in certain ways and you have to transition from this to this to the other. And it's always interesting to read examples of people that perhaps haven't done it in quite so linear a way, just to get ideas about what career paths you could have. So this is um, Dr. Jay Ammon, who works down in Southampton. And when we asked him, you know, why did you want to get involved in research? He said that when I'm in the clinic with people with dementia and their families, there isn't a lot that we can offer them in terms of medication. There's plenty we can do to support them, but there are limited treatments. And those that do exist don't work for everyone. I often feel that my hands are tied and I wanted to do something to help try and develop greater understanding of these diseases to help find new treatments. So Jay has now embarked on a three-year clinical research fellowship to understand more about dementia of Lewy bodies. And he's actually really interested in the inflammatory side of things. And can we detect in blood clues that would suggest that someone has dementia of Lewy bodies rather than, say, Alzheimer's or frontotemporal dementia to help improve diagnosis and also help understand more about the disease? Then we have uh, Pablo Garcia Reutbeck. He works at... Uh, Kings, I believe, and he's working again on the information side of things. Probably should have tried to find some different examples, but it's a really, a really hot topic at the moment. He's looking at more of the genetic side of things, so very much based in in the lab rather than doing um, stuff with patients. 
And um, you know, his advice was that in a way you're doing two jobs at the same time, but I find that research and clinical practice complement each other nicely. As a clinician, I know that what matters to patients, which helps you focus when doing research. I find it very inspiring and humbling as a researcher to meet the patients that are affected by the disorders that we would investigate. A lot of scientists do not get this insight and it really motivates you to go back into the lab to do research. It's a pleasure to be exposed to different worlds. So doing academic research can be a hugely rewarding experience and I completely understand that medics are very busy, overworked, but it's definitely worth thinking about whether this is something that you would like to explore and bear in mind that there are opportunities, there are funding initiatives that will allow you to, to make that transition and to, to do this alongside your clinical work. And all of our grant schemes obviously take into account the fact that you, you know, you're still having to, to work in a clinical setting as well. So a little further down the line, just to give you an idea that this doesn't have to stop at research fellowships, Clinicians are the principal investigators on some of our biggest grants because they can provide that clinical insight that perhaps a basic scientist can't. So Insight 46 is, is um, in a way quite similar to the Whitehall study that we heard about from, from Klaus, but this started at birth and this took uh, a group of people that were all born in one week in March in 1946 and they've been followed their entire lives. And now we're funding uh, some researchers at UCL to do an imaging um, study on a subset of these people to understand the changes that are going on in the brain and help us understand how lifestyle impacts on the brain. We've also got people working on uh, the possibility of a blood test for Alzheimer's. So um, Simon Loveston, who works here in, here in Oxford actually now, he's, he's a clinician and you may have heard the stories in the news last summer it was now about a blood test for Alzheimer's wasn't quite that, it was more a blood test to be able to um, predict whether someone with mild cognitive impairment was likely to go on to get Alzheimer's, which has huge implications for recruitment to clinical trials. But the hope is that by, that, by um, investing in that groundwork, hopefully this will be worked up into a test that can be used more widely in a clinical setting. But what about basic biology? I know a lot of medics, at least the ones I live with, were a bit terrified. I was a biochemist, the thought of going into a lab and doing stuff. But there are opportunities for medics to get involved in the basic biology, not just the, the clinical setting. So here in Oxford, actually, we have um, a clinician that's working on a drug discovery project for dementia of blue bodies. So he's doing basic biochemistry, cell biology in a dish. So you don't just have to use your expertise with, with patients, you can also use the fact that you're incredibly bright people to do lab work on, on the bench setting as well. So just as an example of some of the big um, initiatives that we're funding that are more at that, that, that um, basic biology or translational level rather than, than in people, we're funding a stem cell research centre at the University of Cambridge and this is really fascinating biology and it's it's really interesting how you know when I was doing my undergraduate these techniques didn't exist and now they're being used by researchers all around the world and this was Nobel Prize winning stuff the the discovery that you could take patient skin cells and turn them into stem cells and now researchers are using these to basically stimulate the the, the patient stem cells to become 
nerve cells in a dish so we can look at in a dish basically the time course of Alzheimer's disease, frontotemporal dementia, dementia of Lewy bodies, wherever these skin cells have come from. Um, and this will allow us not un only to understand the molecular processes that are going on, but also to be able to screen huge amounts of drugs um, in, in, a, in a quicker and, and easier manner. So that's a huge area of research that's going on at the moment, one that a lot of people are involved in. And we'll hear more about that, I think, from DPUK. We've also got a Drug Discovery Alliance, um, which is three drug discovery institutes. Uh, one here in Oxford, one in Cambridge and one at UCL and that's really to um, make sure that all this interesting stuff that's going on in academic research labs up and down the country doesn't stay in academic research labs. I think uh, researchers often have a tendency to get very focused in on, on one one protein in one signalling pathway and then think once they've, once they've found out what it does job done. We want to encourage them to give their targets to these drug discovery institutes to make sure then that medicinal chemists, biologists can take them, design drugs and, and, and basically start early phase drug discovery for Alzheimer's and other causes of dementia. So we launched these this year um, and so it's going to be really exciting to see the, the, the progress that these will make. And again, this can't just be about people in the lab. We need clinical expertise to make sure that um, people on the right track that were really tackling the, 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 the key issues that are important in the clinic. Uh, at more of the clinical phase, we've also launched a clinical trials fund. Um, and as, um, this will fund phase one and phase two clinical trials um, to basically get, again, academic projects off the ground. Phase three trials are in hugely expensive so this is out of our reach for the moment but the hope is by getting them started then that will mean there's more leverage for funding from from pharma from from other funding bodies we also have the alzheimer's research uk research network and i know a lot of you come from all over the country and hopefully there's a network center near you the research network basically aims to unite um biomedical dementia researchers across the country um, because often there'll be someone struggling in a, with a problem for example in Oxford and there's people in Newcastle that are actually experts in a particular technique. The aim is to bring people with different backgrounds together so um, that might be um, you know bioengineers working with biologists working with clinicians to solve certain problems um, and yeah, there's the list of the centres um, along the along the side there. And if you go, um, if you're in Oxford, um, the network coordinator is Richard Wade Martin. So you can email him if you'd like to get involved. But if you go on our website, there's a list of all the other um, network coordinators. If you'd like to get involved in your your local centre, and and really, I mean, these provide money for pump priming projects. So pump priming project is basically a small amount of cash to get an idea off the ground. So often uh, when people want to be able to test a hypothesis, there may not be money left on, on a grant that they're working on. This provides a bit of extra cash for them to gather pilot data that then you can go on to, to apply for bigger amounts of money. But I think mainly for you, if you're, you're not working in research, there's still a huge amount of benefit to the network because there's um, science days, public engagement opportunities. And I think um, if you do have an interest in research, it's really good to be able to go along to those, hear what's happening in your local centre, so that can hopefully help you um, in your you know, day-to-day -day 
jobs in in the ward just to have a bit more of a background about what what research is going on near you also we're always after clinicians for our public engagement activities because often because you basically speak to people all day often a lot better of explaining stuff than 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 others so um, definitely get involved in your local network center if you're interested so how can we help you well aside from providing you with money hopefully um, we can also provide you with a lot of resources that you might uh, find useful to be able to pass into the way of the people you come into contact with. So we produce health information which is accredited by the information standard and these are basically booklets on each of the different causes of dementia but as well you know key themes such as genetics, risk, frequently asked questions. We disseminate these for free to all memory clinics uh, GP surgeries and libraries across the UK obviously some of you won't necessarily fall into those categories so if you would like some of these just to be able to give out to families um, patients just to have around where you're working just give us a call they are all free so we'll be more than happy to send as many as you need out we can also help with fielding difficult inquiries about research which um, as you are all very busy in dementia may not be the only thing you have to deal with uh, you might not know all of the research that's going on so we've all seen headlines like this um, and recently more concerning the one about um, is Alzheimer's transmissible so I work in the press team at, at Alzheimer's Research UK and we're constantly reacting to news stories like this providing comments which means that we've read all the papers behind all of these headlines. And we have a dementia research info line. So if you ever do get asked queries, because you know, you're, you're seeing people they've seen on the front page of the Express that morning about chocolate, pomegranates, coconut oil, you can always pass them our number and we'll be happy to explain the science that's gone on behind that because there is so much out there in the media and it's great to raise awareness but always it comes with the, 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 the negative side that people can get, can get unnecessarily concerned or you know, perhaps change their diet um, um, when that's not uh, necessarily warranted. So do feel free to pass people our way. This one's a bit of how can we help you and how can you help us? So Joint Dementia Research launched in February this year and it's an initiative from the National Institute of Health Research and the aim is to get as many people as possible involved in clinical research. There's no point in us funding clinicians to do research if there's nobody to take part in those studies. Um, since it launched, over 11,000 people have already signed up and there's all kinds of studies from you know, internet questionnaires about lifestyle all the way up to um, you know, brain scans to follow people over a number of years. Um, we need lots of people to sign up for this. So whether you're interested in getting involved in research um, and you need uh, people to take part in your studies or whether you're just coming into contact with people with dementia and their families on a day-to-day -day basis, do give Joint Dementia Research a plug because we need as many people as possible to get involved. So um, I suppose as Laurel pointed out this morning, it's not so much the obviously it's dementia research is a huge challenge but there are also lots of opportunities so while alzheimer's research uk and the government focus on increased investment increased research capacity and providing the infrastructure which we're going to hear more about now we also need clinicians for your viewpoints your new ideas and also encouraging as many people as possible to take part in in clinical research 
Um, so that's it from me. I'm happy to answer questions um, now, um, or you can drop me an email if you don't want to put your hand up.